0: like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all the social media accounts at my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B R I O N. McClanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to McClanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll, 10 Myths of American History, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. I will have another course out this month. So be on the watch out for that. It's the third part of my Southern Cultural and Intellectual History series. It's a great time to become a member because you're going to get the best deals on that class. So going out to mclanahanacademy.com, subscribe free of charge. Purchase one of my 12 courses helps keep this podcast free of charge as well. You can also click on that support tab at brianmclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way. Help keep these lights on. Help keep the podcast going. You get your Brian McClanahan book plate If you want my autograph on one of my books... Check one of those up or uh, purchase one of my books. I've got a new one out, Southern Scribblings, 60 Essays and Defenses of Southern Tradition. It is an awesome book. You're going to want to get it. You can also click on that shop tab at brianmclanahan.com. Get your Brian McClanahan Show logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And, uh, I mean, it's a great way to advertise the show as well. And you can go to LearnTrue.T.R.U.E.LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Library classroom. I teach there with Tom and a lot of other great instructors. It's a great way to support the show, and you get something awesome out of it as well. And don't forget to share it around on social media. Rate it wherever you get your podcast. Do all you can to get people thinking locally and acting locally, because if you don't, we've got the mess that's now in America. This is a Think Locally, Act Locally episode, and it's based on the news over the weekend that Justice Ginsburg died. Now, of course, she was on death's door for many months. We all knew it. Anybody. I mean, this is, I think, there was something going on. Trump had put out a list of potential judges. Of course, ostensibly to say if he won the next election, these are people he'd be looking at. But I think everyone knew that Ginsburg, anyone who was in the know knew that Ginsburg was, uh, was not doing well. She was in poor health and that she probably wouldn't survive very much longer. And so, you know, Trump was magnanimous when Ginsburg died. You saw that he was, you know, shocked about it. He said, well, I mean, regardless of what you think of her, you know, this is, uh, she was a remarkable woman, and, you know, he didn't didn't tweet about it. Uh, He didn't show any, uh, you know, fire at that point. However, all of her uh, acolytes and anyone on the left has just had a complete meltdown. The only meltdowns that were funnier to watch were those that happened after Trump won the election in 2016. But these meltdowns, are of epic proportions online. You can find them all over the place. Lefties melting down, progressives melting down. They think the world has ended because Ginsburg is now not on the bench. In reality, uh, it really hasn't mattered a whole lot. Now, John Roberts has been siding with uh, the, the more leftist group at times, and John Roberts has become this. I mean, this is what John Roberts is. He's not a very strong proponent of quote-unquote originalism, which there aren't many people on the court that are. I mean, this is, this is the real problem. But I'll talk about it. This is going to be a Supreme Court week. I'm going to go into some things that I haven't really done. This is actually a listener-generated episode, along with every other episode this week. Somebody sent me an email and said, hey, look, would you do a week to the Supreme Court? Talk about it. So we're going to start with Ginsburg and some fundamental problems I see in this entire process and what's going on in America. First and foremost, let's talk about some social media things that I've seen about this particular situation. You have people like Ian Milheiser, who uh, wrote for Think Progress for years, which is a garbage website. Now he's writing for Vox, I think. Ian mean, Millhiser is their legal expert over there. He goes to all the Supreme Court briefings. He does everything with the Supreme Court, and his position is that democracy is now going to be over because Justice Ginsburg has died. Now, if you think about this logically and what's just happened here, democracy is, our democracy is in peril. You're seeing this a lot on the left. Our democracy is in peril because we're going to have another Supreme Court appointee, and it's going to be someone that Trump gets. And, oh, my gosh, we're going to melt down. We're going to riot. That's the other part of the left, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. First of all, how, how stupid is that particular statement? We're talking about our democracy, which we don't have a democracy anyways. But regardless, we're just going to say democracy. Our democracy is going to be dead because we don't have a non-democratically elected person ruling for the rest of us undemocratically on all kinds of issues under the sun. So it's a non-democratic position that's going to end our, our democracy. This is where these people are coming from. It doesn't really make any sense. It's not logical at all, but this is these people are illogical. They're completely emotional right now. It's this is emotivism at its best, right? Or at its worst if you want to say that. But what they're talking about is we are not going to ha- our democracy is going to end because we don't have an oligarch sitting on the bench anymore. Because this is what's happened in America. We've got an extra legal body of people, 9 people, who determine the law for 320 million people. The Congress doesn't matter anymore. The Supreme Court, I'm sorry, the presidency really doesn't matter anymore in a lot of ways because all you have to do is just file a case, make a legal case for something that somehow your rights have been violated in some way and try to get it before the bench. So the Supreme Court has become the extra legislative body for the entire United States. An undemocratic institution, and this is why I laugh at all these people that start saying, we've got to save our democracy, we've got to go to the Senate. It's undemocratic. It's undemocratic, these people are all elected. Their problem, of course, is that there's more Republicans in the Senate, supposedly more conservatives, but we know the Republican Party is not necessarily conservative, that there's more Republicans in the Senate because there's more Republican states, essentially, than there are Democrat states. So they're worried about that because the Senate is really the key to the entire government. It was designed that way because it kept the states as the central figures in the process. Now, you could say it's large states, small states, but in reality, it kept the states in the process. I mean, the Senate has complete control over the judicial, legislative, and executive branch because the House has to get anything through the Senate for for the legislature to work. The Senate has confirmation power. So they can check the power of the presidency when it comes to treaties, which is the president's most important job, by the way, foreign policy, not domestic decree. And, of course, when the president appoints people to the bench, it has control over that as well. Who's going to sit on the bench so they can control the ideological basis of the people that are going to serve on the federal courts? Right. So the Senate is the is the flywheel, so to speak, of the entire central government's legislative process. States are undergirding that if you want to say if when they elected the U.S. senators. Now I know there's people, and I've said it before, repealing the Seventeenth Amendment. I just did a, a podcast about this. Wouldn't change a whole lot because even in the 19th century, you had people canvassing. There was already you know, democratic things at work there. The state legislatures weren't necessarily doing their jobs anymore. But I mean, we can we could think that maybe the legislatures would become more important. But this is one thing that I saw with this, this extra legislative body. In fact, Kevin Goodsman, who's a great legal scholar in his own right, uh, said that, you know, we, we're, now the left is saying we're going to pack the court. And this is something that happened in the 1930s when Franklin Roosevelt, King Franklin, wasn't getting his way. He said, we're going to pack the court. And, of course, the Congress blocked him at that point. This was something that was not good for the United States. Even if the end result, progressives might have said, hey, this is going to be good for us. But in the long term, what happens if progressives aren't on the bench anymore? So what Gutzman pointed out is that, well, I mean, if the Democrats win the Congress, well then they can they can add people to the bench. But then what happens if the Republicans win the Congress? They're going to add people to the bench. If there's a Republican president, they're going to do it. We're going to every so every election cycle, every time we get another person from another party, We're going to keep adding to the bench of the Supreme Court. Well, my response to that was, well, maybe we'll get 10,000 justices and we'll have a 30,000 to one representative ratio for the justices now. And so we can have a real legislative body again. We just don't elect these people. I mean, this is where we're going with this, right? Why do we let nine people decide the fate of 320 million people? Why? Because of nationalism. Because we've lost federalism in America, and I, I laugh at this thing with Ginsburg. Okay, so let's just talk about Ginsburg for a second and what this means. Justice Ginsburg was a disaster for federalism. One of the cases that's always pointed out for Ginsburg was the Bush v. Gore case where, of course, the Supreme Court decided for uh, George W. Bush to get the 2000 election. And it was a 5-4 decision, and Ginsburg famously wrote, I, I dissent. I dissent. Because this is a violation of federalism. This woman hasn't cared about federalism ever, ever, except in that one particular case. In fact, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a disaster because of her use of the 14th Amendment to nationalize everything in America. I mean, this is the real problem. We've got, and it's not just Ginsburg, it's anybody on the bench. I mean, we saw this with the federal judge I just talked about in the last podcast in Pennsylvania, knocking down Pennsylvania's laws. The federal courts, it doesn't matter if they're on the left or the right, use the 14th Amendment as a legislative hammer, and it shouldn't be that way. But you see, Ginsburg was famous for doing it, and a large number of her decisions whether it was in the majority or the minority, whether it was a dissent or the majority opinion, she did not care in reality for federalism. When you had the Voting Rights Act of course come under scrutiny and it was it was shredded in many ways by the federal courts, by the Supreme Court. Uh, this is where she earned the the nickname the notorious, RBG, right? And she loved that. I mean, that was great. From all, from all reports, I mean, she was supposedly a very nice woman. Uh, but, you know, she was the notorious RBG. And she had her workout re- regiment and all these things. Uh, it just goes to show you cancer can get any of us in any way. I mean, it doesn't matter how healthy you are. Cancer is a real problem. But be- beyond that, uh, her position was that the Voting Rights Act was working so we shouldn't get rid of it. Now, the Voting Rights Act uh, was, and you can say that this was enforcing the 15th Amendment. You can make a very convincing case that that was part of it. The 15th Amendment had to be enforced. But even Booker T. Washington back in the late 19th century said that uh, certain types of tests were not in violation of the 15th Amendment. What happened there is you had an expansion of how the 15th Amendment was supposed to be interpreted. And we this has come up, you know, should you have voter ID? This is one of the big issues. Is voter ID a violation of the 15th Amendment, saying you need to be this person when you vote? And states, of course, have complete control over this. States have control over elections. This is part of the Constitution. And what the 15th Amendment, or I should say what the Voting Rights Act did, was take a lot of that power away from the states, ostensibly for a good purpose, right? I mean, look, to to ensure that people that should have been able to vote can vote, but who are being denied because of race. When you have the 15th Amendment, you cannot deny someone the ability to vote. You can't say, you can't vote because of your race. Now, of course, what they decided was, if you said, uh, all right, you can vote, but you got to pass this literacy test or you got to pay a poll tax. Of course, poll tax were done away with with uh, an amendment to the Constitution. You got to do these things and of course selective use of those. So you have the grandfather clauses which would come in and pre- and allow certain people to vote even if they couldn't read or they couldn't uh, you know they couldn't uh, pay the poll tax, but not other people. Um, so all of that selective, Use of law. Well, of course, I mean, that's going to be problematic. But if you don't do that, if everything's even across the board and you say, all right, should we have a civics test to be able to vote in an election? Well, according to the Voting Rights Act, this might be highly problematic to do something like that. Should people have a certain level of intelligence to be able to vote in an election? Uh, Michelle Obama stands up and says, I don't know anything and I'm going to vote. I mean, this is a question that we should be able to have in the United States. But when you have the federal government and then the Supreme Court legislating for the states, well, I mean, that becomes problematic. You can't. You can't have these conversations. You can't have any discussion about, you know, should everybody just if you can breathe, if you can make condensation on glass, should you go vote? Should you be able to vote? Progressives for years. I mean, look at John Stuart Mill said that certain people should have more votes than others right? I mean, or certain people shouldn't vote. I mean, this was something that people debated for years. We can't do it anymore. Why? Because democracy has become a secular religion. And if you make any critique of democracy, well, except if you're going to support the Supreme Court legislating for everybody, then you are, uh, of course, some type of Nazi, right? I mean, this this is where this stuff is just so stupid. So she, of course, was certainly against shredding some of the Voting Rights Act, which is unnecessary. I mean, there's no there's no prohibitions on anybody in the South voting anymore, except maybe in some places you got to show an ID. I mean, how is that wrong? How is it wrong to say, this is who I am, I'm one person, one vote? Is that not what democracy is all about? One person, one vote, this is me. You can get a state-issued ID card very easily. It's not hard to do. You don't even have to have a driver's license to do it. This is me. And in places where you don't have to do that, we've seen voter fraud. We've seen people go in and say, oh, I'm this person, and they get a ballot. They don't even ask. I mean, this is, that is massive voter fraud. Right? Do we want? Of course, the Democrats I think do want massive voter fraud because it means they're going to win elections, and it's all about power. One of the funniest things that's happening right now is that anybody, any Democrat, stands up. This is a this is naked political power. This is what the Democrats are all about. It's major projection on their part. They don't like it. They don't have the power, so they're going to complain about it because they're always in their mind supposed to have the power. So that's one thing. I mean, Ginsburg was infamous for her abuse of federalism and for taking—I mean, the court does this all the time—taking up cases they shouldn't even take up. Jeff Deist uh, had posted just before I started talking about this how this entire process is just completely stupid. If we actually—if the Supreme Court did their job, they would send most of the cases back to the state courts where they belong. You don't have standing to sue here. Go back to the state courts. We should be paying more attention to who's in our state courts— and this is uh, then the who's in the federal courts. And this is what the Richmond Junto in the 19th century was all about. It was the whole idea that the Judiciary Act, somebody asked me about this, another listener said, hey, look, you, you've mentioned it a couple of times about this Judiciary Act of uh, 1789. And how was that problematic? Well, I mean, there was a, a part of the Judiciary Act of 1789 that allowed for direct appeal of state decisions to the federal courts and the Richmond Junto a group of originalists and we'll talk about this uh, this week in Virginia and I'll get into some of them said that this was unconstitutional you can't do that you can't you, that you can't do that if it's not a federal decision if it's not between citizens of different states or one state in the state, another state in the state, you can't do this. And in fact, they tried to block it in Virginia by, by picking the laws which could be appealed to the Virginia Supreme Court. And of course, that led to the very famous Cohen's v. Virginia case, where John Marshall decided that they couldn't do that anymore. John Marshall of Virginia decided they couldn't do this in Cohen's v. Virginia. So this is the issue. We should be paying much more attention to our fe- to our state courts and our federal courts. And Congress could do something about this. They could just abolish all these circuit courts, all these appellate courts. They could get rid of all this stuff. They could just have a Supreme Court. It's the only thing in the Constitution. And the interesting thing about that, of course, is the Confederate Constitution... Oh, no. <gasps> I'm sorry. <clears throat> I might have just triggered some people because I just mentioned Confederate, and I know that's hard. But the Confederate Constitution... Allowed for the Supreme Court, but the Confederate Congress did not appoint any other federal courts under that Supreme Court. The state courts did all the work. This is how you could do it in the United States. It was a vast improvement on the current idiocy that we have in America. Why do we need all these federal judges who are not elected determining the law for all of these states? Well, because this is what the progressives want to do. They want the courts to legislate. They want the courts to legislate because the Constitution is very strict on what the Congress can do. So this is what you have in states. A state will pass a law. The state I live in will pass a law. And then they'll just let the state courts hash it out. Is it constitutional or not? Right? And we'll talk about this with originalism again. I'm going to do a whole episode just on these kind of things. But that's a state position. This is what James Wilson said in his State House Yard speech. The states and the general government are different in these ways. It shouldn't be that way. The Congress should debate, Is this can we find this power in the Constitution? Is it expressly delegated to the general government? Do we have the authority to do this or not? And then it shouldn't go before the federal courts. Now, uh, that as I mentioned in the, in the decision about the Pennsylvania, the, the federal judge knocking down Pennsylvania's draconian laws during the lockdown, if these were federal laws, then I would have, I would be fine with the federal court weighing in on this. If they were federal laws, the real issue is state laws going before the federal courts and then the federal courts knocking down state laws where they clearly do not have jurisdiction. Jurisdiction. They don't have jurisdiction. But most of the time, these cases are between citizens of the same state and the state itself. And of course, According to the 11th Amendment, states can refuse to be sued anyways through state sovereign immunity. But, oh, wait a second, you've got the federal courts narrowly interpreting that to just very minor things. The state has to be able to be dragged before the federal courts if they, if they deem so. You see, in the 19th century, there was some pushback to this stuff. It's, it's disappeared. It's gone. Nobody does anything about this anymore. Nobody says anything about this anymore. We just accept, oh, yeah, our democracy is in peril because nine judges. We, we, got, we may not have a five to four split or a you know whatever it is on the court. Our democracy is in peril. So you're saying we don't really have democracy then. We don't, you don't really want democracy. What you want is oligarchy determining for the rest of the United States what the rest of the United States should do. You don't really believe in legislative assemblies because if they pass laws that you don't like, you want the courts who are unelected people To knock down those laws. So you don't really believe in democracy. You believe in the democracy you want and the courts backing up the democracy you want. You see, democracy is a messy thing when you don't win elections. The other thing about this, of course, is uh, all of the hypocrisy on both sides and whatever they say they're going to do. Donald Trump was elected in 2016. He is legitimate. You say this is, a, this is an attack on democracy. Donald Trump was elected. The Senate is elected. They're going to do their democratic responsibility and appoint a judge. And the Senate can decide to take up the appointment or not. Look, Barack Obama made, a, made an appointment. Merrick Garland, the Senate just decided they weren't going to hear it because they have the ability to do that. They can do this if they want. And those are democratically elected people. doesn't matter whether it's lame duck or not. Those are democratically elected people. your, Your term doesn't stop because there's an election or between the election and when the new Congress comes in, you can still legislate. The next Congress could come in and change that stuff if they wanted, but you can still legislate. There's nothing. There's no dying wish clause in the Constitution. There's no uh, lame duck clause in the Constitution. That stuff doesn't exist. The president is the president until the day they leave office. And they can do whatever they want presidentially in terms of their constituted powers in that time frame. The next president can come in and undo it. The Congress can do the exact same thing. So if the president appoints somebody and the Congress doesn't want to take it up, the Senate, again, they don't have to. Or they can and they can have that appointment right so all of this is just stupid it's a bunch of da- it's a bunch of lefties progressives throwing a temper tantrum because they don't have power because they're not getting their wish because they're emoting all over the place and riding down the road having road rage because Ruth Bader Ginsburg died or melting down screaming at the sky doing all the stupid things that they do when in reality none of this should really matter because if we had the constitution as Ratified. if we had real federalism in America, if the Congress would have done its job, and I remember Newt Gingrich pointed this out, why don't we just abolish the Ninth Circuit? Let's get rid of it. If we had a situation where we could get rid of all these layers of courts, which is what there were several members of the founding generation pointed this out, we don't need all these layers of courts. If we just had real federalism and a real Constitution— and legislators that adhered to the Constitution, none of this would matter. Ruth Bader Ginsburg would not even be a blip on anyone's radar. In fact, really between the Marshall Court and when you get to the post-Bellum Court, or just a little bit before the 1850s, the Supreme Court really didn't matter a whole lot. It didn't do a whole lot of anything. Almost all the judges in there are unremarkable. Why? Why? because they weren't inserting themselves into the legislative process. Once we get the war, though, and that's over, and we have this extreme nationalism that the war created, we get this Lincolnian nationalism, then the court starts mattering a lot more. Why? Because everything becomes a federal issue. This is why the war matters in 2020. Regardless of the reasons for the war or anything else, the outcome of the war matters, because it's created this nasty, monstrosity in Washington, D.C. that everyone freaks out about when nobody should at all. Now, this doesn't mean you can't have tyranny at the state level. It doesn't mean you can't have bad legislatures at the state level. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. There's always bad government at every level. But do you want several levels of bad government? I mean, do you want the big boy, you want the bully bailing you out all the time because the bully's going to come get their due? And This is exactly what the federal court system is. All right. So that's my thought on Ruth Bader Ginsburg and some of the things that have happened. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a disaster for federalism. I know everyone's, another thing, everyone's focusing on Roe v. Wade, and somehow if we get another judge on there, Roe v. Wade is going to get unturned. But why is this even important? Let me just, before I conclude, why is that even important? Because the federal courts overstepped their jurisdiction and ruled on an issue that the federal government has no control over. That is the case. This is a Tenth Amendment issue. We know that some states would do these things and some states wouldn't when it comes to Roe v. Wade. That would happen. Uh, It's a Tenth Amendment issue. There's no federal control over this at all. And every time the federal government are going to pass a law to make this this a federal crime, the states already had these laws. Why do you have to have uh, more layers of law? I mean, it's because of nationalism. So people are interested in that because we know that some states, of course, are going to then ban uh, abortion. Some states won't. Uh, And so, I mean, this becomes a federal issue, a federalism issue, like it should have been from the beginning. Like it should have been from the beginning. But uh, this is why the left is freaking out more than anything else, because they think that that's going to happen. I'm here to tell you something. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I would be shocked beyond imagination if that law is ever overturned in America. If that ruling, I should say, is ever overturned in America. I would be shocked beyond imagination. All right. That's it for this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. I will see you tomorrow for the next one. See you then.